I've started rolling, so I'm pretty good. All right. You're good too? So am I, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to set it up a little bit and then okay. I'll toss it to you. Hello, hello, hello. Well, well, well. Here we are back on the show. It's great to be with you again. I don't know when it's going to be again next, to be honest, but there are some episodes that I still have promised to people and that I need to get off my chest. So we're back here doing it again on an all new episode, and I'll probably have another one for you soon. I can't tell you exactly when. For now, please enjoy this excellent conversation I had with somebody you may know from around the scene. And thank you so much for listening. Hello and welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and today I am here with the minister at Brentwood Presbyterian Church, which is a fascinating place in our jazz community. I just played there very recently at Jazz Evensong. That's one of the series that I'd say they're best known for in our community. They do Sunday morning worshiping and then Jazz Evensong every Wednesday night. That's been going for a long time. And in addition to that, Brentwood as a space has been an essential place because it's played host to so many up-and-coming big bands. It's been a place where people rehearse and its contributions to the jazz scene here in Vancouver loom large. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Brian Fraser. Oh, great to be here. Thanks so much, <laughs> Will. And uh, we had a wonderful time when you brought your uh, your group to play jazz evensong. It took us a while to, to get that set up, but uh, we were delighted that we were able to do it. Awesome. Yeah, no, likewise, we, we had a great time and this chat has been a long time coming too. So I'm really <laughs> excited to have you here. <laughs> I have been to Jazz Evensong several times over the years. I've watched them on the Brentwood YouTube channel, which is something else that anybody can check out. They can they go can. and watch out yep. previous ones. Well, what is Jazz Evensong? The most recent one that happened wasn't mine, but it was one by this drummer, Neil Gray, his quintet. Uh, when this episode comes out, that will still be the most recent one that occurred as it is today when you and I are talking this week. Yeah. So maybe you can paint a picture to someone who hasn't been to a Jazz Evensong yet based on this last one that happened with Neil and his sure. band. What's it like? Be happy to. Um, so it's one of the... Um, one of the young jazz musicians who's been involved at Brentwood uh, for a number of years now, actually, is a trumpet player by the name of Caden Gordon. And um, when Caden had hung around the church for a while, um, decided to be baptized, joined the church, um, I said to him, so what kept you around here? Like, what kept you hanging around here? And his answer has become kind of a mantra for us. Um, in understanding, uh, in our understanding anyway, uh, of how um, fancy theological language, um, the spirit of our creator's Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is at work in all of the kinds of relationships that we have with the jazz community. And Caden said, it started with your hospitality, and in the hospitality I found hope, and in the hope I found healing. And he's been through some some rough patches in his life. Um, and so to be that kind of space of grace, space of mercy and grace for people, um, is really crucial to us. I started ministering here hmm, 13 and a half years ago. Um, the congregation had dwindled to about 15. Uh, the presbytery, which is our um, kind of supervising body, 
um, had tried to close it down three times. And literally all 15 of them showed up at the last meeting of the presbytery um, and convinced uh, enough of the presbytery to keep it open and give it a second chance. Wow. That, uh, that we did. And so uh, the first jazz service we did here was in December of 2009. And so it was Corey Weeds and his dad, Bill Weeds. And he and I had been working together since literally before the cellar opened um, in another area that uh, where I do uh, consulting and coaching using jazz as a model for organizations and leadership. Anyway, Melody Dation and Doug Stevenson. And so Corey was the one that pointed out the quality of the, the acoustics in the space. So you haven't got people, you haven't got a lot of programs, you've got space that musicians value. Let's open it up to them. And that's where it all started. Wow. So you've got hospitality to hope to healing. Those were the three yeah, words. Yeah, that's kind of the flow that, that, yeah. uh, that we see. Yeah. And then with Corey and that band in 2009, you said you knew him 10 years before that. And that's called Jazz Think your work yeah there, that's right? the that's yeah. the kind of consulting and coaching company jazzthink.com if you want to go to the website it's i haven't done much to it but the stuff that's on it is still pretty central that what what yeah. we do in that so i'm only half time here at brentwood the other half time i i do jazz think yeah and i think the first time that i would have met you it would have been more related to that than specifically to your work here at Brentwood because the first time that I met you was actually only a couple months after that first Jazz Evensong date that you just dropped, I believe. If I have the year right, I went to the BC Music Educators Association oh, conference. Oh, that's right. And oh, I, was I never with, even thought of that yeah. connection. That's the first time you've told me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was I was racking my yeah, brain thinking Kelly when Brosnick did we meet. invited me to do that. Yeah. yeah. So if I have that right, yep, that was in do. 2010. And yep. my connection in there was there was this vocalist who's a couple of years older than me and my friends at New Westminster named Megan Gillespie, who mm -hmm. you know. And so Megan was singing and we were backing her up to in some fashion. And was, Dan, was Dan playing? I don't remember what else. Because Dan was the one that introduced me to Megan. Dan so Reynolds. Dan, Dan Reynolds is yeah. our... Dan came here in 2013. So Dan's been here for 10 years now. Dan Reynolds, wonderful jazz pianist. Yeah. So I just remember we played some, yeah. At the, oh, that's cool. We played some music and it had something to do with what you were presenting about at the conference. Yeah. But I don't remember what you talked about. Well, it was probably, I think for, for a conference like that, it would have been either jazz and leadership or jazz and teamwork. And what we did with Jazz Think was we always began, because I'm interested not so much in being a content expert, but convening conversations where all of us share our expertise in how do you exercise leadership and how do you work in teams? And so we always begin uh, with a performance of a jazz group, either on video or live if the, if the client can afford it. And the question is, what qualities of great leadership or great teamwork do you see in the performance of the jazz group? And so the jazz group plays for 10 minutes or so. People are sitting at tables. They've got stickies and Sharpies. And they're filling out all of the things they see. And you put them up on a wall. Now, all of a sudden, literally, you've got an MBA program in leadership or teamwork up on the wall. All you have to do is go and comment on it, right? And riff off their wisdom. And it works really well. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's I, what well, we I did. Think. I'm biased, <laughs> you think but it, it works well. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I believe it because, I mean, that left an impression on me and I no, I no thought no you were kidding. a very cool guy that's right first, away. You haven't, we haven't talked about that. that. That's wonderful. I but love it, it. I guess that's what we did is because Kelly, and when she listens to this, I will check this with her. <laughs> <laughs> if, if she connected with you to get you at that conference back in 2010, yeah. the group that she hooked up with to play the 10 or 15 minutes must have been us. Must have been Megan. and I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm because not we sure would have been we... free labor or That's, very, very cheap. Yes. Well, that's <laughs> essential. <laughs> yes. Conference organizers have a habit of, and sort of church ministers, but that's yeah. <laughs> Music education is very important. Concern. Shout out to Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Yes. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't be here without without her and no, the team at that wonderful. school. That's that whole family is amazing. Sure. Yeah, so talented. Yeah, so that's the first time that I oh, encountered you. Oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> and then yeah, the first my first jazz even song, I believe it was also with Megan and I think with Dan. We were yeah, talking about that before right. mine, and that would have been a couple of years after that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Paul Rushka and Bill Weeds and Corey Weeds were the first Jazz Think trio. So, so that was the trio that I always worked with when um, um, when the the client could afford a live trio. Yeah. And it, so it went from Paul, and then I we had Doug Stevenson for a while, and then when he Melody moved to Nelson, we ended up with oh John, saxophone player, I, plays Bentley, John, John Bentley. Bentley. Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> Seniors moment. Yeah, no, John Bentley was playing with us for a long time, so it was great. Yeah, I want to ask, because now we're talking about people being bass places, <laughs> like where you were before or away from Vancouver, but there's there's something else I want to hit first, which is a certain word, and you haven't used this word yet, so I wanted to catch it before you did. There's a certain word that I always associate with you, because you use it in a lot of um, texts and things that... Uh, describe your work and jazz that's jazz think or brentwood or what you do do you know do you know what the word that i'm going to ask you about? yes yeah. i was going to say provoke or any whichever yeah. conjugation of it you like what does this word mean to you why do you love this <laughs> word so much so this is uh so when i was looking around for i mean jazz thinks basically a sole proprietorship right it's brian and whoever else he could bring along to the gig um but i was looking for a title that had to do with um what I did. And so uh, my title with Jazz Think, and it usually stops people and gets them curious, which is great, is Lead Provocateur. Mm -hmm. So um, there is, there's actually, there are religious roots to this word for me. Um, so in the New Testament, there's a, cha a, a book called The Letter to the Hebrews. Um, and in the 10th chapter, I think it's, I don't know, verse 23, I think. I, I didn't. I wasn't raised in that tradition of Christianity where you memorize the Bible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so anyhow, but it says, uh, "Let us hold fast to the hope." So back to hope that is within us. For he who has promised is faithful. So that's our understanding of God's faithfulness to us precedes our faithfulness to God. And let us provoke one another to love and good works. So provoke basically means call forth. So it means that I. Um, understand that the image of God is in you in the same way it's in me, whether you recognize it, whether we recognize it the same way or not. Um, so that's one of the things um, that we've learned in our relationship with the jazz community. I'll talk a little bit about a series of interviews we did in 2018. Um, but uh, so my assumption is that the spirit is at work in all of us, and how do you call forth 
um, a collaboration around that work, and that work always leans towards justice with kindness and humility. So that's the, the prophet Micah. What does the Gordon require of us? Um, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Uh, so that's where Provocateur came from, um, and I really see myself convening provocative conversations, in other words, conversations that call forth our best, that generate flourishing communities. To some extent, if you see jazz musicians as people who facilitate all these kinds of things, like yeah. collaboration and like the those three words that we talked about with yeah. Hayden and so on, do you think that most or all jazz musicians in some way are also provocateurs? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, when you think about the dynamics of jazz, um, you, are, you are part of a community that has a tradition of playing music um, around particular structures. Like a lot of people don't understand how structured jazz is, but that's only the foundation. So going back to the origins of jazz, think, um, I literally... So I came to Vancouver in 1985 to be dean of the Presbyterian College at UBC, St. Andrews Hall, and to teach at Vancouver School of Theology. So I taught, my discipline is church history, but uh, the way I, what I'm interested in is um, the organizational dynamics of the church and the kind of leadership that serves that best. Um, and so whatever kind of organization you want to talk about, that's it. This organization has a certain ecosystem that, perf that, that um, aspires to be a benefit in the world, a benefit to in the world. And so how do you um, come into that organization uh, on their invitation to contribute to them doing it better? Okay. So Corey, I, I used to ask Corey, I, I kept pestering him. I said, so Corey, what does the leadership leader of a jazz group do? Like on the bandstand, a yeah, band well, leader. Well, no, no, no. But I just, no, oh, I didn't, just I didn't even they, put oh, land, okay. I didn't even put bandstand. I said, just, you know, is this really generic? What does the leader of a, of a jazz group do? Okay. And any, one of the things I found with jazz musicians, I hope this doesn't insult people in the <laughs> jazz community, but they've got an intuitive and emotional sense of I've done like a really finely tuned emotional and intuitive sense of reality and, and the message they want to convey. They don't always have facility in putting it into words, right? So I come along, my instrument is words in my voice, like speaking, um, and part of the collaboration is, oh, I wonder if, does this make sense as expressing what you're trying to express? Nah, that doesn't, that, that, that's just way off base, Fraser. Try again. <laughs> so it was that kind of conversation with Corey. And finally, I went into the cellar one night, and um, when we do Jazz Even Song here, the stool I sit on, I mean, this, this is the sacred stool to Brian. Um, if I'm not here, you can sit on it, but if I'm here, that's, that's mine. Mine, uh -huh. mine, 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 mine. It's, <laughs> it's a bar stool from the cellar. Really? Yeah, and okay. I got it. I got it from Corey when they closed down. I said, "I want one one of those." I'm sure I sat on that bar stool many, many nights. Wow! Oh, and I um, so I went in one night to MC, and Corey said, "I got another answer to your question." I said, "Well, okay, fire away." He said, "So what I do is create space for others to play, and then play with them." 
Huh. That's brilliant. That's very I mean, simple that's and profound. just absolutely yeah. and really profound, right? So Corey gets a hold of the, the club owner. He takes care of all of the, you know, if, if it's an out-of-town thing. I mean, there's all sorts of logistics that go into creating space for a band to play on a bandstand, whether it's a club or a church or wherever. Um, and then once that's all done and that opportunity is established, Corey sits in and plays with them. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, you, you know better than I do in many ways the kind of communication, the bodily communication that goes on among the players during the, the I mean, that's one of the interesting things when you're doing it with a, with a corporate group is um, one of the things they notice is the body language and the communication that's going on while the music's going on. And that will just happen. There's no way you would ever have to say, oh, definitely like exaggerate your, your movements or your yeah, body no, no, expressions no. It's just, so that you can make that point come across. No, exactly. it will always come across. Yeah. It just will. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, for people who relate primarily through verbal conversation, beginning to get a sense of that and, and how well it works and how dysfunctional it can become when it doesn't work, when there isn't that, the mutual respect to allow it to work. I mean, those are huge lessons. Yeah. I was actually going to head in that direction for a brief moment, okay. just in case you didn't, because I, I've i been that person myself. I've also witnessed it. I'm sure I could come up with examples of when I've witnessed it, but I know that sometimes because I was in a band, in a fixed group of individuals that stayed together for three or four years and played a whole bunch uh, as a band member, I know when I was that person and I was unhappy or mad or something. And yeah. I, I know what ends up happening. I know how it comes across amongst the four of us. And I know that it, it definitely does come across yeah. to those yeah. in the audience who are paying attention. It exactly. is palpable, right? Like yeah. you can tell no, you when can... somebody's like that. I, I know that I've been that person. So that does come across. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things that I, that I say in, in jazz think, and I, this is true, church as well uh, it, it's an organization I, I mean what i used to say to my students at vancouver school of theology who were preparing for ministry was look you're running a small business there's a particular purpose for which that business exists but if you don't pay attention to the business dimension of being church you're going to get yourself in trouble and and literally all sorts of churches are in trouble these days um, and so having that sense of, I would call it stewardship of resources. You know, you've got human resources, you've got physical resources, you've got financial resources. How do you um, collaboratively, like with everybody in the congregation, um, how do you convene the conversations that help people figure out the best ways of playing that piece, using those resources, whatever you want to talk, call it. But as you say, when that vibe is, is tense and is frustrated and is angry, I mean, that just, that fills the space real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Audiences pick that up. Yeah. So what, what was Corey's formulation again? He created space for people to play I, and then he played I with create them. create space for people to play and then play with and them. And play with them. Yeah. yeah. What, I, what I love about that so much in addition to just its brevity, is that that could be embraced equally well by not just the kind of musicians playing the kind of music that Corey Weeds plays, but also, you know, the kind of music that is that Tim Reinert presents, that anybody presents. Yeah. I feel like they could all take a piece of that and yeah. that that would speak and to any, every organization any of those I know of, whether it's a business organization, nonprofit, church, what have you, 
family, um, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So in the mid 80s, when you came here, you were in the academic world. You were teaching yeah. theology or his, history. history. Or, yeah. yeah. My, my area yeah. is Canadian church history. So, I mean, that's my academic expertise. Yeah. Well, if that's where you were coming from at that point, there's two things I want to know how you got to them. The The other one is just jazz, and I can get there in a second, but like, did you, what about getting into business and the corporate and the consulting? Like, you weren't in that yet at in the, in the mid-80s, or were you? In terms well, of your jazz think work and working in the business world, that seems different than what you would have, very yeah. different than where you were then. Um, so, let me run through a little bit of personal history. Um, so, in Toronto... Uh, grew up in Niagara Falls, uh, moved to Toronto in 65 for university. Um, if you were an approved uh, candidate for ministry in the Presbyterian Church in Canada, you got a half-price room and board at Knox College, which is right at the heart of the UBC campus, or the, the U of T campus. Um, so lived there. The drill when you came to Toronto in those days was that you dumped your luggage and your little sea breeze portable record player, right? Which <laughs> most of us had in those days. You're too young to remember Absolute. those. So this is in the mid seventies. This is mid sixties. Yeah, this 60s. is sixty five. Okay, wow. okay. Yes, I am that old. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and then you went down to Young Street, and you went to Sam the Record Man's. Uh, no longer there, um, but Sam was, uh, and then three doors up was A and A Records. But but Sam was the the established one. And so there were five floors of records um, at Sam's. Um, and I was a folky at that point. So the folk floor was the fifth floor, but you had to climb the stairs and pass the jazz floor, which was on the fourth floor. And so you're lugging yourself up the stairs and uh, they always had those displays at the head of the stairs with records that were on sale. And when I got to the jazz floor, this is 65, there was Oscar Peterson's Canadiana Suite for three ninety nine, and so Canadiana Suite. I'm studying Canadian history. Sure, why not? And I'd heard of Oscar Peterson, and so that. But that was that was my introduction to and falling in love with jazz. Because now all of a sudden, you know, you've got all of this intellectual stuff about Canadian history, and for me, that record caught the intuitive and emotional attachment to those places um, in ways that none of the textbooks ever would. Wow. Yeah. So that was my introduction to jazz. Um, became friends with two or three other jazz friends. Those were the days of George Spaghetti House and Mo Kaufman, um, uh, Jim Galloway. Um, so, yeah. All in Toronto. Basically, at that yeah. point in Toronto. Yeah. And then um, spent seven years at a little congregation in downtown Toronto, just below Young and Eglinton, uh, called Glee Presbyterian Church, and then in eighty, and I was teaching down at the college at that point as adjunct professor, and at U of T a little bit, and then in eighty five, uh, the Presbyterians decided to hook up with the Anglicans and Uniteds at Vancouver School of Theology, and I was brought out as the first dean and professor um, in that whole thing. The business piece then was when I got here. St. Andrews Hall was sitting on 3.2 acres at the heart of the UBC campus, so we're right beside the law school, 
between the law school and the castle, which now is the Vancouver School of Economics. It was the Vancouver School of Theology, but we sold the building to the university. Okay. Uh, or they did. And um, But, so you're sitting on 3.2 acres at the heart of the UBC campus on a 999-year lease for a dollar a year. Huh. So essentially, it's, it's your property. Yeah. And sitting on that land is a 40-room dormitory. And so part of the business thing came along was how are you going to generate revenue to pay your share, Vancouver School of Theology, and begin to build up resources to serve the broader church, which you didn't have then. Well, you develop student housing. Um, so we built a $6.5 million residence complex. Um, it generated surplus revenue from day one. And then since I left, um, they've... Uh, done fill-in stuff so there's a um, there's a market condo um, on a 99 year lease and then a, a tower that concert properties built and runs um, so the, the, the college now has I don't know a 10 million dollar plus endowment they're doing all right yeah. on that but investment. all of that has to do with okay you've come out here um, essentially, as, as one of my business friends said, you're running a shell company, right? You got all these resources, and all you're really doing is providing housing for 40 people um, and uh, teaching at Vancouver School of Theology. So, what what can you imagine doing with those resources? Yeah. So that was kind of a crash course kind of introduction to you, where you suddenly yeah. became familiar with all these concepts, the business dimension of being church. Yeah. 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 But then it didn't it didn't all come together into Jazz Think until maybe 10 years after that, well, until the late no, 90s. Where it came together into Jazz Think was that I was there for 16 and a half years um and then left. And so uh what I wanted to do was get into leadership coaching and into nonprofit organization consulting. Basically around how do you um how do you organize your resources? to generate flourishing organizations. So I went over to Royal Roads and did their executive uh, coaching program, which was great, um, and then hooked up with a number of, they called themselves capacity builders in the nonprofit consulting business in the States, um, and so got very involved in the Alliance for Nonprofit Management for a number of years, which was a great um, training ground. Um, and so ran Jazz Think for to, from 2000 till 2009. Uh, the connection with Brentwood was a friend um, brought me in to do some consulting with them about their future. Um, and they started asking if I'd come and work with them half time. I said no three times because I really didn't want to get back into the parish. Said yes the fourth time and I haven't had a moment's regret. <laughs> so, um, and, and so basically... Once we got this um, encouragement from Corey in terms of the quality of the space for musicians, they loved music, didn't particularly know much about jazz. Um, when Corey and Bill and Melody and Doug came in and did the jazz service for Christmas, they got kind of excited about that. So we began to kind of build up the relationship. I think we started uh, the jazz services monthly, and then in 2013 when Dan came, started to do them weekly. So um, St. Andrews Wesley and Brentwood are the only weekly services. 
Northwood where Gord Turner was the guy who started them at St. Andrews Wesley. Gord and I go back to Toronto in the early 1970s doing ecumenical um, church stuff. So I knew Gord really well. Um, and then Scott Turnbrook, who's at Northwood, um, that's Gord's son. And so they do it every second week. And then the other, um, I think there's six, five or six more that do it once a month. So St. Andrews, um, United in North Van, um, Golden Ears, Tawasson, um, who am I missing? Uh, United Churches United Church of, Langley of Langley now. Yeah, so they've just started. Um, Trinity Grace United are just starting this fall with a series. So Tawasson, Trinity Grace, and uh, United Churches of Langley were kind of mentored by Brentwood um, in doing that. I can't, there's an Anglican church in West Van St. Stephen's. They were doing it for a while. I went to their website. Uh, it doesn't look as if they're doing it now, but they may very well be. So um, who am I missing? I think that's it. Well, there's there's quite a few of them, which yeah. is, which is which great. I, I still think it's the largest number of regular jazz worship services in Canada. I think there are some in Montreal and some in Toronto, but I don't think that many. Yeah, so this model of doing jazz services, all these churches that you just named, um, these are being done at different times, most of the times in the afternoons and into the evenings. Yours is, is quite late, I think, on the, on the day, on yeah. the clock. In terms, some of them are on the weekends and the afternoons. All, all, yeah. I think I think all the other ones are at the sacred hour for jazz, and they call them jazz vespers. Yeah. And so the sacred hour is Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Four. Yeah. So that was the sacred hour set by St. Andrew's Wesley, and then everybody else has followed that. Um, when we started it on Wednesday night, we, we, there was another congregation that uses Brentwood on the Sunday afternoon. Uh, Burnaby Taiwanese Presbyterian Church. So we couldn't do it on a Sunday afternoon. Um, when we started, um, most jazz venues were were dark on Wednesday night. That was that was the reason we chose it. Um, uh, now there's all sorts of venues booking on Wednesday night. So yeah, <laughs> it's such a broad topic and would be uh, a lot for me to take in from scratch, but you have so much experience with it. So I'm sure that whatever you have to say on this will be very enlightening for me. But like, what does it mean for you just in terms of what you do on, and because people can watch them both on your YouTube channel, it's interesting, yeah. like on the Sunday morning worship on a typical Sunday morning service versus what you do in, in the jazz even song, like just for you, how do you, feel your way through or conceptualize that difference and the like difference. what what's the difference from the pastor's perspective and from what you have to do sure i mean that's a really good question so the sunday morning service tends to be um let me use the language of much more traditional in its flow um so we have a congregation now of um about 30 members we would, um, our Sunday morning mailing list is about 100. Um, and so we would count maybe 60 or 70 people that we would call participants. They may not be members. Um, and they would, regular participants, they would show up um, once or twice a month, if not more often. 
And I think that's a reality in urban churches these days. You know, the the old days of you got to be in church every Sunday morning um, is not true for a a city like Vancouver anyway, Um, because there's all sorts of other things that are happening in those days. Uh, Most mainline churches, so Presbyterian, United, Anglican, Lutheran, um, these days are what I call Zoomer churches. So most of the people who participate in them are 55 and older. Okay. So if you, and and so you look at a congregation on Sunday morning, we would have 25 to 30 uh, people in uh, um, present in person on a Sunday morning now, post COVID, um, anywhere from 10 to 15 online. And then Sunday morning, um, the viewership on YouTube after is, 15 to 20. So not not huge numbers, but given where we started 13 years ago, it's it's I mean we've tripled the number of people we um quadrupled the number of people we consider regular participants and doubled the budget. Cuz so, you said there were only 15 or so. Yeah. The, yeah. And the flow of that service is um you know there's kind of welcoming, there's an opening prayer, um we do three hymns on a regular basis. We do a lot of worship music um so we we sing a lot of um we sing the prayer for illumination we sing a welcoming song um we sing the lord's prayer um we do a choral amen and then there's a a kind of mutual blessing that's sung at the end of the service Uh, dan reynolds is our uh, musician on sunday morning guy by the name of phil murray um is is our cantor Um, they used to have a very good choir that was gone by the time I got here. Um, so Phil sings in the um, um, uh, in one of the gospel choirs, um, and and so he he does spiritual care in Vancouver Health. Um, so he's great. So he and Dan are the musicians most Sunday mornings. Um, but it's it it kind of flows from. Um, welcoming prayer i mean the traditional flow of a worship service is um welcoming um what we traditionally call a prayer of confession but it's it's kind of a um prayer that acknowledges who we are where we're coming from uh, the kinds of needs that we might have the hopes and aspirations that we might have then there's an assurance that god will speak to that then you move to a part where you um, read the scriptures, and there's a sermon that reflects on the scriptures. In our Sunday mornings, we've always got a word to ponder, so it's kind of like that opening of the Jazz Think um, events. What do you understand by a word like hope or a word like hospitality? And for about five minutes, the congregation just kind of throws out ideas. Um, and then um, I normally preach from the bar stool. <laughs> and it's it's 10 15 minutes of, of reflection on it um and then dad dan does some music for reflection brentwood has developed a brentwood declaration which really kind of summarizes our understanding of the christian faith um so we say that what's coming up with the congregation a um, couple more hymns prayer benediction and off we go so that's a fairly traditional flow of christian worship Jazz Evensong has always been focused on um, creating space for the musicians uh, to play whatever they want. So I would say 
I haven't really asked about this lately, but I would say probably 80% of the musicians who play here would not identify as Christian. Okay, yeah. They're intrigued by, by, by Christianity. They do have, um, we spent, uh, we got a grant from the Calvin Institute uh, of Christian Worship <clears throat> down in Grand Rapids, and we got some Canada Summer Jobs money in 2018 and interviewed, we had four young jazz musicians um, so, uh, Sophia Avellino, Noah Franz Nolan, um, uh, Josh, um, Santos, um, lost touch with Josh. He was a high school student at that point. Um, and then, um, uh, Georgia Vancouver, um, she's now, I think, based in London doing composition stuff. Um, so anyhow. Uh, they interviewed about 80 jazz musicians, mostly jazz musicians and a few ministers, about the connection they saw between jazz and spirituality. Nobody in that sample denied a spiritual dimension of what was going on in jazz. Uh, the ways they described it are delightfully, I mean, the academics call it hybridity. Like, it, it's... it's a, um, there were sociologists back in my day at university, uh, um, Peter Berger and Charles Luckman, and they wrote a book, um, I think it was called Sacred Canopy. I can't remember the exact, but anyway. So they used the image of religion in North America is a supermarket religion. So you go in and you take a little bit of this off the shelf, a little bit of this oh. off the shelf, a little bit of this off the shelf, right? And you kind of mix it together in something that works for you. Well, that. That's why I mean, we've got 120 pages of transcripts from these interviews that we still haven't really dug into. That's one of the one of the projects that I've got. But it but it's wonderful. But nobody denies that there's a spiritual dimension going on. How you talk about that is the fascinating part. And so what we wanted to do Wednesday nights was to create space for musicians to play, talk, communicate their music the message of their music, the way they wanted to do it. Like a, a number of, of people who come here for the first time say, well, do you want, do you want us to choose Christian songs or do you, do, you oh. have, do you have a playlist that you want us to play or a theme that you want us to play to? And, and the answer is always no. Um, you come and play whatever you want. And, and I'm going to read theology into it, but uh, you know, that's, that's me. That's me bringing my genuine voice into dialogue with your genuine voice, and we have no idea what the Spirit's going to do with that. And that's the same thing that you could say, oh, that's what I'm doing with my trio, right? Like yeah. You could make the same. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that sense of um, inviting people into a space to do what they were most passionate about and did best, that was Gord's approach down at St. Andrew's Wesley in, in the original um, versions of, of jazz worshiping in Vancouver. Um, and he was really kind of um, insistent on that. No, 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 I'm not going to tell you what to play. You come and play what you want. I'll riff off it. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done at, at um, the format at Brentwood has changed in the last year or so, year, year and a half. Because um, I was down, I can't, I think it was Dan and Ben and Ron Kinders and Bryn Kinders tap dancing and Rian Walker at St. Andrews Wesley. And they've set the the pattern for most jazz worship services. So it's kind of a introduction and welcome. Um, 
then a couple of pieces of music, somebody talks, a couple of pieces talk, a couple of pieces talk, and then a wrap up and, and thank you. And it just struck me as too chopped up. And so I think Dave Sakula was playing Jazz Even Song the following Wednesday. And I phoned up Dave and I said, uh, let's try this. The group plays four. Then I'll do one reflection, and then you play four more, and then we'll wrap it up. Which, of course, is what I did, and yeah. probably what Neil just did last exactly. week. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what four, ended, That's how you ended up structuring and, it. Yeah. And Dave's comment was because uh, Dave's played a number of jazz vesper services as well. He said that really worked well because as a group we were able to get into the flow of playing the music together. In the other format, you just begin to feel the flow, and then somebody interrupts by blah 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 blabbing. <laughs> that was my language, not his. He was much more generous than that. <laughs> so um, that's what we've been doing, and it seems to work well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it it definitely does, and it probably works better for you too. Like what what oh, your remarks, whatever what you're preparing in terms of what you're saying so. is going to flow better too when yeah. you have that longer space in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't have to think yeah. of how to throw to the musicians seven times. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because then you're so basically did, doing so. A that radio was a show. long rambling. Did that get at what you were after yeah. in the question? Yeah, good. Yeah, okay. because now I think that's a pretty comprehensive view of like not only what jazz even song is, but that there are other people doing it here in Vancouver and the commonalities between how everybody's doing it, and then there's going to be little differences. And if you go differences. to them, then you see and some. Yeah. If, if you go to to North Van. Um, St. Andrew's North Van with Judith Hearthcastle. Um, Judith is, is wonderful. She's part of the Thomas Merton Society of Canada. And so what you'll get with Judith is often um, prayers and poems that are read from Merton or from a whole range of, of people. And, and, uh, and others are, are uh, doing their own reflections and meditations. Um, but it's a wonderful... Um, um, and there's some interesting jazz musicians mixed up. Golden Ears um, united the musicians there are Diane Lines. Mm -hmm. um, and so that brings Tony Chamberlist around, brings Sam Ellington into it. Um, so uh, that's so it, it's great. Diane is very cool. I just met her for the first time. Oh, did you? Ago. Oh, yeah. No, she, 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 and, <laughs> she and Tony are delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like. I feel like I owe you a bit of background from my end in a oh, way. Oh, that would be because wonderful. I, the only reason not to get a specific reaction from you, but just because <laughs> you, we've corresponded for a long time. You recently had me here to play. You heard me play and you did the Jazz Even song with me. And so you, you heard me bring my music in here. But in terms of where I'm coming from... Love to hear that. Just in broad strokes, it's in terms of what's relevant here, it's like, so I was raised by two parents who split when I was young, mm. who I kept in touch with, and neither of whom were practicing a religion right. throughout my childhood, neither of whom raised me in a religion throughout my childhood. So I was not raised in, in any religious tradition. Yep. Uh, I married into a family with a very strong Catholic tradition, mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, my spouse does not identify as Catholic at this point, and uh, but there is throughout the family a tradition of going every Sunday right. in the Catholic Church. Uh, I have three brothers-in-law. The youngest brother-in-law, he's a guitarist, is at Coquitlam Alliance Church. Okay, yeah. Uh, and he's younger than me. He's 25. And other than that, not much musical background in my family or, or in my in-law family either 
Yeah. But I was, and I think, so one of my parents was raised in the Catholic church and became a lapsed Catholic. Right. The other one of my parents was not raised with a religious tradition either. So uh, I do have a lot of friends of those of whom who don't identify with a certain religion who were lapsed in the sense that they were raised with something and then they ended up um, not identifying with one of them at the certain time. But, and I do have other friends who are like this too. I wasn't raised with one. And so I feel like whatever I will find and identify with, I feel like I haven't found it yet, honestly. So that is a work in progress for me so that is just my reaction to a lot of what you shared and that's that's just where i'm coming from in terms of that side of things yeah i don't really know where i was going with that but well no that's it but that's hey first of all thanks for sharing that story because we haven't i mean this is in many ways this is the first time we've had a serious conversation which is great and love love that it's public and hope people are uh, are enjoying it and to some degree um, identifying with some of the stuff we've been talking about. But let me say two or three things as, as an historian of Christianity in Canada, in part. Um, your story is, is the common story of your generation in Canada. I get the sense of that, yeah. Right? And so um, no real religious uh, upbringing. What there is, is is a real hybrid. Like it's a mix of um, Protestant and Catholic. So the Alliance Church um, is one of the more uh, conservative, even at least in most cases, is one of the more conservative evangelical churches. Um, its founder, A.B. Simpson, was actually a Presbyterian, and in 1912 decided the Presbyterians were not Christian enough, so he started the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Um, and um, so another one of those kind of internal breakaways. Um, Western Christianity is is full of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the other part of it, though, is that, so uh, that kind of background is not unusual, especially among jazz musicians. Um, the other interesting thing is the number of jazz musicians who had religious upbringings, but they found them restrictive and abusive. Um, and so they've left the church with that kind of experience. And and I wouldn't say um, anger as much as um, a disappointed rejection um, of something that they... Um, were hoping to be more open and hospitable and turned out to be um, much more imposition of conformity. So one of the jazz musicians, interestingly enough, um, we were, there's, there's a group here of people who've got deep roots in that evangelical um, wing of the church. Um, and they wanted to, div- and so they'd played in worship bands, like, like you're, your brother-in-law, um, and uh, they wanted to develop their jazz chops because they were kind of intrigued. So they get together on Monday night, and Dan mentors them. Um, and so we were, and, and I show up every now and then and kind of talk 
theology. Because um, a lot of them are uh, disenchanted with a controlling, angry God. That, that's how they've been raised. Um, and church leadership that figure they're the authority. God has given them the authority so they can be and, and impositional. Uh, and so they found worship, the worship music in those churches um, just far too um, structured and rigid. And one guy who, who played upright bass um, said that he was playing with a worship band, new to a church, playing with a worship band, and he threw in a few jazz licks to the, the song that they were rehearsing. And the leader of the worship band stopped right in the middle of the song and said, we don't do that here. You play it the way I tell you. <laughs> um, and that's a parable of, for many of them of that, that approach to Christianity. Um, and they're finding space here to explore. And so it's not as if uh, within the evangelical world, it's often called deconstruction these days. So I'm deconstructing my faith. I don't, they haven't given up on their faith. I mean, lots do, but they these guys haven't given up on their faith, and um, so I the language we use in the Presbyterian tradition is reformulating the faith, and in our ordination vows we basically say, um, look, we agree to stay open to the Spirit's leading in reformulating our understanding of our relationship with God, because we're human beings, and and. We see through a glass darkly, to use Paul's language. We don't understand everything. And so you've got to approach it. I mean, we understand the depth of the embrace of God's forgiving and reconciling love. right? So there's an acceptance there that resonates deeply with the image of God within us, in our souls. How you come to understand that, how you um, word it, language it, um, that's open for ongoing conversation. And so you don't tie yourself to a particular formulation of the faith. So going back to, to the, the kind of founder of the Reformed tradition, John Calvin, Calvin talked about being Reformed and always reforming according to the Word of God. That it was ongoing, that you don't reform and then you're done, but that exactly. it's a process, yeah. right? And, yeah. and so jazz is a wonderful example of, yeah. of precisely that. Totally. Like, it is not a symphony score that, and even in symphony scores, I mean, you, you play them the way you interpret them, but there is a, 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 a dimension of conformity to the original score that just isn't there in jazz. Your conformity is to the original melody, and then you go in, you go, um, chord chart. You go play with that and, and improvise on it and find all sorts of other new and interesting and unplayed possibilities um, in that piece of music. Yeah. And you do that every time you pick up your instrument and play, whether you're practicing or performing. Wow. Yeah. And so if, if the church was able to learn that lesson from jazz, <laughs> so here's another, here's another, um, uh, this is the KISS warning. It's called Keep It... it the, my new KISS principle is Keep It Shamelessly Self-Promoting. Oh, that's not where <laughs> I thought that was going. <laughs> um, so uh, for a number of years, I've been wanting to write a book on church and jazz. 
uh-huh. and and it just wasn't coming and wasn't coming wasn't coming. Um, so last fall, it started to come, and and the first dungy draft has been sent out to the friends of Brian to be ripped apart and put back together when I, when I get a chance to. But it's what I've ended up doing is writing fifty two prayers, um, that talk about um, the lessons I've learned from jazz that I think would. Um, revitalize and transform the church in in the the direction that I think God wants it transformed. Huh. Some coming to a bookshelf <laughs> in a bookseller soon, like in the next year or two. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty soon in in the book world. Yeah, it is pretty soon in the yeah. book world. Anyhow. So there is this process where at the same time the the thesis here is like there is something like in the essence of what jazz is that if you look at it you can learn something about faith yep. but that there's also something in the in the in the faith in in people's practice that you can learn you can recognize what jazz is if yeah. you're not familiar with jazz yeah. you can become familiar with it by understanding mm. it from the the concepts of the faith yeah but, and, and then it goes both ways. And, and there's another dimension to it, and, and which I think is important. And in our culture, which is so focused on individuals, um, I think this is equally important. So the guy by the name of Frank Barrett, um, uh, one of the, my mentors in jazz and organizations, but uh, lots of people had written about jazz as a metaphor for organizations. And Frank said... Well, that's not deep enough. What we have to recognize is that jazz is an organization. Like a jazz group is an organization that performs the way organizations perform. So that's where this deeper sense of what can you learn from jazz about the way any organization is operating. That's where it comes from. Uh, For Barrett, a guy by the name of Stephen Nakmanovich in a book called Free Play, Donald Schoen in a book called The Reflective Practitioner. Um, Schoen was one that taught education at MIT. Peter Senge is a big name in organizational literature, the fifth discipline. He was a student of Schoen's. All of them pointed out the most common form of jazz in human experience. This is the essence of jazz thing. is human conversation. Um, every time you open your mouth to have a conversation, this conversation, which we had not scripted or rehearsed, is a form of jazz. We've got structure, vocabulary, and grammar, but every time we use it, next time we have this conversation, even if we're talking about the same thing, it's going to be different. Yeah. Um, Just like a lot of people would analogize the other way if they're trying to teach jazz. They would say like, this this jazz, this a tune that we're going to play, it's like having a conversation if we're going to play the tune again. Yeah. Yeah. And and to point out to people... That, that what you see in the performance of a jazz group is a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know? And so the jazz think principle is if you were to manage the sound and substance of your voice in a conversation, the way jazz, jazz musicians um, manage the sound and substance of their instruments in a performance, what difference would it make to the quality of community you're generating? One conversation after another. Mm-hmm. And the same is true of the church. This could be a topic that's too big for today. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of those. <laughs> but uh, um, I wonder if one thing to take away from this subject f- 
for jazz musicians like me and anybody who uh would come at it from that side like oh they would recognize something about faith in jazz that they're familiar with is that you know there's different yardsticks that you could measure your success as a musician on whatever that means to you you know everything from how many people are listening to and buying your music to how many people you can turn out to a show to where you've played to all those kind of things and not all of them are very reliably good to use in that way <laughs> very because true. they're very inconsistent yeah. and uh you know that's probably not a good idea to 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 measure yourself too much on those yeah. things but maybe one that makes sense with this subject is that what did you say you said something about like enabling community or just at the end there you were like generating you generate community, community. Yeah. like the, the amount of community that you can generate in the wake of the music you're playing is a is a good yardstick to measure yourself yeah. by because that is local which obviously i think about a lot because of how i view things through the lens of rhythm changes yeah and maybe that makes more sense because those are people you know and people who you know you're going to see again if they're in the community with you and that if that you it's almost like you have some one you have some kind of responsibility if you're if you're going to play music as a big part of your life to like look at yourself as a community generator and yep. reflect on that and that also like that's a probably a better thing to focus on and and think about as instead of how many people you, how many tickets you can yeah. sell or how many people listen to your music is that kind it's of a, yeah something no to take away? i mean i think that is a bigger topic but but let me uh, never being stumped to say something about any topic <laughs> uh let, let me uh say a few things on that so one of the things i mean we don't draw large numbers for the jazz services here um it's pretty consistent now. We're in the kind of 20 to 40 um, range. Um, <laughs> the best draw we've ever had um, was this past February. And Candace Churchill always comes and does her Nina Simone, part of her Nina Simone tribute, and, and brings along Henry Smith, uh, who played with Nina Simone, guitar mm. player. And so, and Henry's got quite a following and doesn't play much in town. Um, so this February, we had 100 people here. So it's pretty much full. Oh, it was packed to the rafters. And we had $885 in the, in the, in the thanks bucket. I mean, that's yeah. just, that's crazy. You know, most nights we get 100 to 200. Yeah. And, um, but... Uh, and then once we started live streaming, once COVID uh, gave us the impetus to develop that capacity, and we, I mean, there was a long time when we weren't doing it well. Um, I think we finally mastered the basics of it. Uh, but Ken Burke, who was one of our, our uh, mentors in, in live streaming, Ken always used to say, Fraser, it's content is still king. I mean, people will put up with all sorts of crap in terms of the quality of their production if what you offer them is good and what you're offering them is good. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. But um, so, um, and, and jazz doesn't draw big, well, you know better than I do. Jazz doesn't draw big numbers by and large anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we stopped worrying about the numbers. What for us is important and and I, I've talked to a number of jazz musicians about this as well. Dan and I have wonderful conversations about this. Is So there's a um, parable in the Bible, one of the stories of Jesus, about the sower. 
sowing seeds. So every time you enter into a conversation, whether it's in a formal way of worship or whether it's informal before, after, these kinds of things, whatever conversations we may generate among people listening to the podcast, um, you're sowing seeds. And what the Spirit does with those seeds, you don't know. Um, It may be something that happens fairly quickly. It may be something that doesn't happen for 10 years. They're just laying dormant, and then something happens, and all of a sudden, you remember this phrase, or you remember um, this this tune, uh, and the feeling that you had when you heard that tune, um, and the Spirit starts to work away with it. So it, it, for us, anyway, and it's part of the, so you're here in person, um, you're somewhere on the live stream, um, you're watching it for four, five, six minutes. Uh, on YouTube, um, who knows what what's going to happen with that music or that bit of reflection that they hear or the prayer they hear um, or just the feel they get from from the place. Um, one of the things people comment on frequently here is just the warmth of the whole place. I mean, part of it's the people who are in it, but before they encounter any people, they'll walk in and there's just a kind of warmth to the space. Which, which is really gratifying. So, so I think it's that piece about um, what you can take responsibility for is the quality of the content and the sensitivity you have to the context for that content. So part of our reason for doing those interviews with the jazz musicians was to find out how the jazz community thinks about spirituality the language they use to talk about it, and we can now, understanding that a bit better, enter into a, a deeper dialogue and, con- and, and discerning dialogue about, okay, you've helped us understand God in this way. Um, we wonder about you thinking about God in this way. Um, and, and it's just it's an ongoing conversation. Yeah. And what you mean about the quality of the content is you really mean the essential quality of the activity. You don't mean... You 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 don't mean the quality of the video or the audio no, at no, that no. point, no. That's because right. sometimes that is what people mean when they use that. Yeah. But for you, this means some, the essential it quality means, of the content. It means the quality of music the musicians are bringing. Yeah. And one of the things I love about uh, jazz even song is that musicians feel that they've there's a freedom here to bring in their own compositions and to play those compositions that they may not feel in a club setting um, or in a corporate setting. Um, or in a wedding setting or, you know, any of the mm-hmm. places where you make your money. Yeah. And that means a lot to us. And in a very literal sense, the setting of Brentwood enables entire sub-scenes in this scene, I yeah. would claim, because the whole thing about uh, emerging big bands. Yes. Like, Brentwood is, like, the only space for emerging big bands that plays host to them so regularly and has enabled... So many big bands, ones that I've written about before, even just in the last year or two, is like Jen Kim's big band, obviously Dean's big band, yeah. Chris Berner's big yeah. band. Tonight, I'm. This is when we're recording. Is on August 10th, a couple of days before, right? So tonight is Vel Leong's Ghibli Jazz Orchestra yeah. that I'm going to be here for. So, so yeah, the, in, a, in a very literal sense, you are 
just like somebody would bring music here that they wouldn't be playing if they were playing corporate gigs or something like there's entire things like big bands that don't have as good of spaces to have time to actually come together that are able to come together here. Yeah. And, and we're delighted to be able to do that. Um, I think the other thing that we've been really intentional about is making it affordable space. Um, so we do have a kind of set rate of 75 bucks for a morning, afternoon or evening. If you can't play, can't pay that. Um, we'll negotiate uh, often what we negotiate is, will you play a benefit concert for us? Because that's one of the other things that we've um, done fairly seriously and, and are beginning to amp up. So we'll have at least one, if not two, benefit concerts every month from here on in. Um, but the other, the one of the bands that, there are two bands that I wanted to mention specifically. Um, so Casey, uh, Thomas Burns' Leading Ladies, um, mm-hmm practice here this is kind of their home base and this week they did their ladies night jazz jam exactly and and so that's and the the the, uh, intent of that is that it's a safe space for young women jazz musicians to develop their chops Um, jazz is still in many ways far too misogynist a, a community and a lot of women don't feel safe and so um casey's group um, among the older ja- women jazz musicians, uh, Sister Jazz Orchestra um, is is a place where um, they don't have to deal with that dynamic. Um, and we've got a big project that we're working on with this with Sister Jazz Orchestra as well, because Christian's mother was a Presbyterian minister. Christian Morrison, the leader of Sister Jazz yeah, Orchestra. Sister yeah, Sister Jazz Orchestra, and so Allison Stewart Patterson, and so we're working on a, and she was one of the kind of second-generation pioneers of women in ministry within Canadian Presbyterian culture. So you had a group of women who got the decision made in 66 to ordain women um, as uh, lay leaders and as clergy. But then you've got a second generation that needs to um, be on the forefront of convincing congregations to elect them to their boards and to call them as ministers. And that's a whole other, literally, generation or two process. And Allison was one of the leaders of, of that. And so the project is called the Counting the Women um, Sacred Jazz Suite. Brentwood's been commissioning sacred jazz suites. This is our biggest, like it's a $50,000 project. But um, so Christian has chosen eight women from the Bible. And then there's a postlude and a prelude um, to the suite. So nine... Uh, you know, eight movements plus a beginning and end, whatever that's called. <laughs> um, and and different comp- with a different woman composer for each of the of the the movements. Um, and then we'll record the performance and develop um, faith formation resources to go with that. If people want to use it individually, if they want to use it corporately, whatever. Um, but. Uh, um, so that's a wonderful project. And then there's a, a group called the Impressions Big Band. They rehearse yeah. here every Saturday morning. Um, and uh, uh, before the pandemic, Ben McRae, who's now um, Minister of Youth and Young Adults down at St. Andrews, Andrews Wesley, Wesley. and yeah. is now coordinating Jazz Vespers down there. Um, but Ben had started a big band here called the Brentwood Jazz All-Stars. And that was really where we got our, our uh, where people wanting to do big band stuff started to notice us. 
And so, um, but it never kind of revived after the pandemic. And then Ben moved on to St. Andrews Wesley. But one of the things we did do was commission Jill Townsend, who directs the Impressions Big Band, to do a suite of, uh, for the big band of songs from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. And so we now have permission um, to play seven of those eight songs because the, the Rogers production people said, we're still in, in legal, this late, we're still in legal hassles over who owns this one song. That, oh, yeah. That we had, yeah. That so anyhow, so, <laughs> um, so they, did the, the, um, they did the premiere of that here last spring. Um, and um, the deal with the Impressions Big Band is that they'll do that suite a couple of times at uh, various spaces. So we're this fall we'll do it at Unity, um, over on on Oak at Forty Ninth, I think Forty First, Forty Ninth. I can never remember Forty First, I think, um, just south of Forty First on Oak. Um, and then we're in negotiations with a couple of places to do it in the spring. Yeah. The jazz suites. I know I've I've heard a lot about Dean Teeson's because he's the one I know best out of the people who's done them. Yeah, that's, that's so, also a distinct so thing. So Trinity Brentwood. Grace United, which is on 16th, right at Fraser and Kingsway. Um, so we've been mentoring them. They're now going to begin to do a monthly jazz service. And for the fall, um, they're going to do um, four jazz suites uh, on Friday nights. We, we're just getting the poster together. Um, and so Dan will do his prodigal son suite there in September, Dean, the good Samaritan suite in October, Dan, the sower suite in November, and then quintessential jazz will do a Christmas jazz suite. That's um, this is coming up this year. This fall. Yeah. 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 And I'll get that information to you. <laughs> yeah. We're just, we're doing, doing the final negotiations with the church to, to make sure we're okay. And I'll get that poster to you and you can start promoting it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, th- and thank you again for, for all of that, uh, the work you do on, on promoting that stuff. It oh. means a lot to all of us. You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a joy to, to, to do it as best I can. And yeah, it's just the learning journey. You just, there's just a lot to, to, to check out and uh, never ends. So that's the, that's the interesting thing about it. Yeah. But it's good that there were people who were doing it before me too. Yeah, it's kind of a unique situation because it it's it's not like they all chose to retire the ways they were doing it. I mean, some some cases just because of the pandemic. Sometimes because people got older and it was a different chapter of their lives. Like two people who did this kind of thing before me. That I feel like the the current state of rhythm change is almost like a mix of what these two people do and and have done is like new to dune obviously Mm -hmm. because he was the last person to actively be pushing out events date and time and and so on and uh chris wong yeah uh who has been a big mentor for me in in rhythm changes for sure so like yeah Yeah. they they very clearly did the same kind of thing before yeah yeah and new is still hosting the radio show and is still very active so like there's 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 so many people who are active and doing things like that but then this one particular angle kind of showed up as something that i could do and so it's like okay okay let's just do that yeah yeah so it's definitely it's a very improvisational attitude yeah well and and adding the podcast and these kinds of interviews to that is is wonderful yeah um You've mentioned a couple times, the last couple times I've been here about the big renovation plans 
mm-hmm. at Brentwood. Uh, what do you want to share about that? Well, it, it's a work in progress. Um, it's uh, We've realized that it's going to be probably a three to five year project from here on in. Um, but basically what we want to do is uh, the, the basic building is pretty sound. Um, it's well built. Um, but we want to turn it into a, per, a performing arts center for North Burnaby. There's nothing of this caliber um, north of the highway. Because south of the highway, there's the Shadbolt. South of the had, side, highway, there's Shadbolt. Shadbolt is um, uh, heavily booked. Yeah. And it's expensive. Yeah, no doubt. And so, and the other part is north of the highway in within a kind of 15 block radius of the church. Between 2015 and 2035, 40,000 people move in. Right, because of all, all the development of the around Brent, development around Brentwood. The, the, the SkyTrain stations. Yeah, all and, of the SkyTrain stations. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, Holdem and uh, Brentwood and Gilmore. And so uh, we've talked to the city people a while ago. We've got to get back to the city people. Um, and they think it's did think it was a great idea the culture people thought it was a great idea and and said there is nothing north of the highway comparable to this in terms of its its appropriateness as a music venue or performance venue now doesn't seat a lot um comfortably we seat 80 we can cram 100 in um and so as as cory we talked to cory about it and he said for my stuff, especially if I'm bringing outside acts in, I need 150 seats um, in order to generate the revenue to do that. And that's why he does stuff at the Shadbolt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you do you do house concerts. Yeah, which, which he does a lot. Um, but they what they tend to do is if, especially if they feature somebody with some buddies from outside of Vancouver, like New York or Chicago or or uh, uh, London or wherever. Uh, they're done as a supplement to the major concerts at Shadbolt or or at Frankie's or wherever. Um, so, and we want to maintain the, the 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 availability of this space to those younger jazz musicians that, that you've talked about earlier. Um, it's about a three and a half million dollar project. Um, what we would do is go fourteen feet out towards the street, full width. For some strange reason, there is no washroom on the main floor in this church. It's I, how they got away with it. I have no idea. And it's bizarre <laughs> and it's unfortunate. So um, storage, elevator, um, kind of ticket refreshment place, handicapped accessible washroom. We do not want to mess with the acoustics in the sanctuary itself. So all of those walls remain. We triple glaze the windows. Um, we uh, insulate it much better than it's currently insulated. We put in air conditioning. The daycare gets another uh, space for another eight or nine kids. Um, and uh, um, the, the configuration back at this, at the tail end of the church is the office becomes smaller. Half of it becomes storage. Already um, paved the parking lot, so that's done. So basically, that's what it boils down to. But it, it's, it's creating a small performing arts center for North Burnaby. Yeah. So are would you say that you're currently more in the process of just conceptualizing what it's going to be? I mean, you just described to me no, very this, much what it's going to like to be. No, at this stage, we've got yeah. pretty, pretty clear yeah. drawings. I mean, they they need to go to the 
architectural drawings. But no, we've got conceptual drawings. At this stage, what we have to do is find three and a half million. That's where I was, oh, yeah. was going to say. Or are you and looking so for funding? Yeah. Uh, and if anybody's listening to this and wants a naming <laughs> opportunity for a million bucks, <laughs> you know, um, the. Uh, Will and, Will and Brian Performing Arts Center at Brentwood Presbyterian Church. We'd be more than happy to talk with you about that. Uh, um, I don't know if that's my demographic. But, yeah, there we go. <laughs> there's, um, but there, there's significant community amenity funds in this in the city because of all of the development. And as I understand it, the city's basically they started by saying, um, "We're gonna we're gonna build it." Then they went to, "We're gonna get the developer to build it." And now, basically, those have, haven't worked out for them. And so they're going to fund other organizations who are going to build it. So hopefully, we'll get access to some money there. We've talked to the MLA, Janet Rutledge, about provincial money, Terry Beach about federal money. Um, it'll take us probably two years to raise the money. The actual construction is six to nine months. Like, it's not a huge, long project. So I'm thinking three to five years, we should have it done. Yeah. Yeah. Up until 2023, how many years had you previously been thinking about doing this? We started imagining this probably five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So the tough thing about that, you don't have to get into the nitty gritty, but the, the cost of doing it probably has gone up even just over those five years. Oh, yeah. In, it would in, again. The, in the 3.5 million, yeah. there's a 30% contingency fund. Mm. So we may be able to do it for less, but most nonprofit housing and organizations, so Terra Housing, people we talked with about some of this, they deal primarily with housing. Um, but they said, yep, yeah, basically in our economic pro formas, we put in um, 30% these days. Yeah. Because by the time it gets built, that's, so who knows? Yeah. Um, and we were hoping to get it done sooner, but we've just become far more patient. As you know, I mean, the space is quite usable now. Yeah. I mean, this is really a, a kind of significant improvement in quality. Um, the other thing this would do is um, equip the space to be a recording studio. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's some of those around, but the acoustical quality in this space is is quite unique and remarkable yeah. for recording especially for recording acoustic music it is it's very interesting for yeah yeah i don't know if you're familiar with this particular project but there's there's something that's kind of have has one foot in the jazz scene but is also kind of more like a rock and more like a stage show project it's called the history of gunpowder is no. the name of the band i don't know if you've heard of this but no. they they next month at the rio they're presenting a film a concert movie that they made uh by um recording at a for a week at a church in cumberland bc oh cool. and it's this huge <clears throat> kind of rock and roll band with a bunch of jazz yeah. musicians and yeah. it's something that i'm i'm looking forward to for sure i just thought I'll of that keep when an it, eye out on that yeah That's people great. when you record acoustic or roots based music you want to on some level you get i think you get to a point where you want to be in a space like this and if especially if you've already made other studio albums right where you've it's more clean and more isolated. There's something special about if you record it in, in this space or yeah. in another space like that. Yeah. There was the, the piece that, I mean, I don't have an ear for it and I don't have the language for it. So at, for a, a while, about 18 months, um, we worked on a, a classical music series uh, with a guy by the name of George Zuckerman who died six, eight months ago. Um, but George had organized these classical music 
series and societies literally across Canada. The big one was in White Rock, which, which is where he lived. Um, and his business model was fascinating. And we may actually uh, adopt the business model for some jazz stuff as well. But you bought a subscription to the series. Like you couldn't buy an individual ticket. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was that he ended up with the money in the bank before he went and talked to the musicians. And I gather in the classical world, um, you come in, um, you may or may not get what you've been promised, but if you can add an additional performance that's far enough away from the Orpheum or wherever the other performances are, um, that's fine. And so this was done down in uh, White Rock Baptist Church, seats 850. Wow. Um, and so, and George had contacts with these with these people. Um, interesting story. He was a grew up in New York. Um, uh, his cousin is Pincus Zuckerman. Oh yeah. So in that kind of liberal New York Jewish world, um, came out here to be the principal bassoonist at the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra in 1952. Hmm. It was a two year contract, and they didn't renew it. Because he tried to unionize the musicians. <laughs> but he'd fallen in love with Vancouver. So he had a solo career, and then he established these music societies all across the country in little, in little towns, like Whitehorse and Timmins, Ontario. Um, but the big one was here. And so by the time we met George on a classical music river cruise in 2015, um, they were sold out in terms of subscriptions to the White Rock thing. They had a waiting list of 350. And people would donate their subscription or, or leave their subscriptions to their kids in their wills. And I think you got um, eight classical music concerts a year for 150 bucks. Yeah. And um, so we tried to, to build something like that at Brentwood because he came here and loved the acoustics. So the Canadian Guitar Quartet came as part of that. And they were raving about the acoustics. And they're based in um, Ottawa and Montreal. And so I said to Louis, who was the, the remaining founding member, <clears throat> um, we were having a glass of wine after. And I said, so, because he was raving about the acoustics. I said, so give me the language to describe it. Because I don't have the ear and I don't have the language. He said, okay. It's warm and it's clear. And he said, you don't usually get those two together. Oh, okay, he said, yeah. if it's warm, it's fuzzy. And if it's clear, it's harsh. And he said, I've played in concert halls around the world. This is the best space I've ever played in. Wow. Yeah. And so they come back, um, and he's got another group that, that tours uh, classical music venues. Whenever they're in Vancouver, they want to play Brentwood. And I said, look, I don't have the budget to pay. He said, that's <laughs> fine. We'll play for the door. Right, and if we if we cover our Airbnb for that night, we're happy. Huh. Um, so that's the quality of space that we've been given to steward. Wow. And so it's with that in mind that we're looking at the renovations. That's really cool. You know, um, I grew up down the block from uh, a church called St. Aidan's Presbyterian Church yeah. in New Westminster. Yeah. And 
I have no idea what year it was, but at some point when I was growing up in New West, I heard PJ Perry play there. His 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 brother. I, okay, I was going to ask a you. member of the church. That, was, that's it the must have been the there yeah. must have been a direct yeah. connection. No, to somebody his, his in the brothers, but his I didn't brothers know what it was. an elder, one of the one of yeah. the lay leaders in that church. Yeah. So I yeah I, that that yeah. makes because why else would he be there on my block right? Yeah. But but yeah no I got to hear PJ Perry play in there. I don't yeah. remember who the band was. It sounded amazing. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to meet him because I didn't even I wasn't even that really into playing jazz at that point or anything but i now i realize how remarkable that was and it's like what you're saying where people are coming in here off the clock in in a sense of when they're in town for something else or yeah huh so it's um and um yeah and so saint aiden's now um they've amalgamated with gordon presbyterian and knox and knox uh new west to form trinity yeah um and they'll probably the plan at this stage, as I understand it, is to redevelop the Gordon site with seniors' housing and church space. Um, I will. I imagine Saint. I mean, this is just me imagining. I suspect Saint Aidan's will end up getting sold. Um, Knox's. It's an interesting um, space, but it's also an historic, considered an historic building, which there are many in New West. And. Yeah. Um, so negotiating around that, I'm not sure. But um, they they've now got a solid financial base, and and it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah. I don't think the acoustics in any of those churches are as good as, as good here, as here. Yeah, but they're good. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to at the end for some fun. I wanted to to just bring up some people's names, and and you could just do word association on these people okay. who we both know and. And uh, you could you could tell me something that comes to mind when you think of them. Some of these people's names have already come up, but we can we can line a bunch of them up here at the end. And and uh, I just I'd love to hear what you have to say about these people because I associate them with you, and oh, okay. I also know them. Right. So so first one would be uh, my friend who we've already mentioned who did the Good Samaritan Suite, Dean Teeson. Yeah, um, just um, wonderfully um, creative, open, willing to collaborate. Um, great composer, um, Cindy's narration for the uh, the Good Samaritan Suite um, is wonderful. So uh, delighted to have him as a friend and colleague. Uh, ben McRae. Ben is is amazing. So Ben came. Uh, ben was one of the people that was interviewed in that 2018 project, um, and so that brought Ben to the church. Um, that was the first time we did the Mike Allen, John Coltrane tribute that fall. And so, quick, quick story. I mean, so it went from um, fairly radical rejection of the church to um, acceptance of the church, became a musicing director here, started the big band, um, decided he was going to go study for ministry, realized that the the opportunities to do the kind of ministry that he wanted to do in terms of jazz and faith were very limited in the Presbyterian Church, much more available in the United Church. And so uh, St. Andrews Wesley offered him a job, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them keep him on after he's got two more years before he graduates. Um, I hope they keep him on, because that's the kind of venue with the kind of resources for his imagination but um yeah huge respect noah franch nolan noah and i have known each other since he was 14. 
Um, he used to hang out with um, our granddaughter, Sasha Ferguson, um, and the Rossi gang and Sky Lamborn and Noah Gottfried and, and Aaron Levinson, and who and I'm missing a bunch of people in that. Um, and uh, But just watching Noah um, blossom, I remember sitting on the floor of his mom's place over in East Van uh, when he was doing a house concert just before he left uh, Vancouver. And um, the house was packed. And uh, but he's um, he's he's just brilliant. <laughs> so because you mentioned it, uh, I know what I know what that is because I was of the age when they were around. But kids these days would not know. And I would obviously talking to them would be fun too. But so who who was the Rossi gang? I I know who it is, but oh, the people okay. don't know. This is this so, is something that has so faded the away other, a little the bit. The other thing the connected with it. So the Rossi gang um, was, uh, if I can remember, yeah. well, and you'll fill in who I forget. Yes. So Noah played with them from time to time. Um, Sky Lamborn, um, Joe Abbott, Aaron Levinson, Noah Gottfried, yeah. um, Caden Gordon played with them from time to time. Um, so that was the, that was the kind of, I don't know, what would you call it? Traditional, would you call it jazz? Traditional like trad jazz, jazz trad swing. Jazz. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they recorded their first album here at Brentwood and they called it the Rossi Gang at Church. <laughs> and it was, it, it, it was, the, the album was put in these, um, this printed eight and a half by 11 sheet that was folded and they had this black and white thing that had the Rossi gang here and the cross at the front of the church on it. So, <laughs> and then, uh, so the Rossi gang also connects them with the Henry house. Were you around in the Henry house days? Nope. So the Henry house was, was over on Henry street and it was, it was kind of the, the, the precursor to the jazz house. Yeah. With with uh, with Jimmy James Fraser, there were a bunch of jazz musicians that lived there, and Sunday nights they would do a jam, and the place would be packed, and they'd have a, you know, pot of chili. And for a while after, the, and then the, the house got sold and redeveloped, um, and then for a while they were coming here to Brentwood to do a similar thing to that. And Sky's mother, um, Helen Lamborn, um, she was here for one of those, and she said, "I have a painting, I think." might fit well here at Brentwood. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, can we buy it? She says, no, 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 I'll give it to you on long-term loan. I said, that's wonderful. She says, there's only one catch. It's four feet by 10 feet. And so it now hangs on one of the walls in the church. We call it divine geometry. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Huh. So it, those are the some of the connections. I have to get that album in my collection. I do not have a <laughs> Okay, um, I, I may have, I'll go... <laughs> Hunt oh. through my collection. Well, yeah, I'm not sure how how many coffees were made, but uh, it's probably a very small <laughs> number. So I gotta, yeah, I gotta track that yeah. down. Um, three people you could take any or all of these people, but we've been in the same room with these people a couple times in different couple different places over the last year or two. Darlene Cooper, Bill Sample, and Marcus Mosley. Oh yeah. Um, so the Marcus Mosley Corral, um, they used to rehearse here. They couldn't perform here because there were too many of them. But for a number of years, they rehearsed here. Um, and, uh, so that was how I met, um, Bill, uh, Marcus, I knew through the gospel music networks, um, probably met him through Gord Turner and St. Andrews Wesley, um, and, and the jazz Vespers down there. Um, and then Darlene, 
Um, I met her through some of her old evangelical church connections. Um, didn't really get to know her until the, the, the Mosley Chorale um, started to rehearse here. And then we did a gospel workshop with them here. Um, and uh, the first service that we did at the St. Andrews site, the Fort Langley site of the United Churches of Langley, was with the three of them. So that, that's been a really good friendship. And then Marcus is coming to do one of our uh, Black History. In February, we do Black History stuff. So in ter- yeah. just to tie together the renovation and the, the big plans at Brentwood, yep. the everyday person, in terms of what they can do without injecting $3.5 million themselves to support the whole effort is just to to sh- to show up at the Jazz Even songs and share about what well, you're doing and, in and general. What's, t- keep, what do they need to do? I mean, the, the best thing to do is if it's appropriate and they're comfortable doing it, um, just talk about the significance of Brentwood to the jazz community in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And lots of people do that. We've got lots and lots of um, of testimonials to the significance. Um, once we really begin to apply seriously for funding, we'll probably go back out to the community and say, you know, can you give us five or six lines as to uh, what Brentwood means to you as a jazz musician or a jazz fan? Um, and the significant improvement in that significance that the renovations would make. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and, and thank you for giving me an opportunity <laughs> to make that pitch. I was going to say, I mean, we're lit. It's very meta. We're doing that right now. So <laughs> I've, I've had so much fun. I, I, I'm really happy that we got to do it here at Brentwood. So thank you for yeah, hosting me and great. thanks for well, chatting thank with me. Thank you for doing it. Yeah. It's been a delight. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you enjoyed it, go to rhythmchanges.ca and sign up for the free weekly article. That's what I write every Tuesday. I feature an artist, event, or recording from the community for you to enjoy and share, as well as send you this week's upcoming gigs from the gig list. So go to rhythmchanges.ca and sign up for the free weekly article, and I will be in touch with you by email. Otherwise, I'll catch you next time on a future episode of this show. Bye for now.